Hear the word of God from Ruth chapter 4. You can follow along in your own Bibles or on the screen. Ruth chapter 4. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend. Sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative, Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know. For there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his, in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the matter of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders of all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elder said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together build up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Amimadab, Amminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you.
So last week, we started our series in the book of Ruth. We learned last week that I am a crier. I openly admitted that. We also saw, and I shared it again during my prayer time, we also saw how the book of Ruth starts in tears and ends in tears. We see how sorrow heaped upon sorrow upon Naomi at the very beginning. Over and over again, Naomi lost all that there is to lose. Her family, her land, her husband, her children. But then we see her end with incredible joy and bliss. We see that in God there is a harvest after the bitterness. We see that we have a Bethlehem, which literally means harvest is coming. Now I'll say that again. Bethlehem literally means harvest is coming. So after all this sorrow, Naomi goes back to Bethlehem. So the picture that was being painted last week, I want you to see that out of bitterness, even out of sorrow, came harvest. But an ultimate harvest came that was even bigger than the life of Naomi. Who was born in Bethlehem? Anybody? Ah, Jesus. Came the ultimate harvest. Do you see? Guys, sometimes, I'll say this real quick as an aside. Sometimes your bitterness, sometimes your sorrow, sometimes things that happen in your life may not be resolved in joy in your life. I know that sounds like, well, that's a really depressing message, Lawrence. But let me tell you something that in the divine economy of God, in this divine timeline of God, you can have hope that he's still working the harvest. Amen? This is the message the Israelites need to hear during this dark time of Judges. There is a harvest coming. God is fulfilling his promise where he will be our God and we will be his people. He is redeeming his sinful people. So let's dive back into the story of Naomi and Ruth. Both immigrant women in some way. Naomi was an immigrant when she left all she had known to go to Moab. Ruth was an immigrant when she left Moab and came back to Naomi. So not only is this story about immigrant women, but also actually about interracial marriage. Naomi's son, was a Mo- uh, Naomi's son married a Moabite Ruth. This Moabite, which by the way, was known as a people and as a nation that the Israelites hated. This Moabite is the example of the Hebrew Bible gives of the Proverbs 31 virtuous woman. And is in the direct lineage of Jesus. I point this all out because we need to see how global God is. There is some in this day and age, some in this culture who have issues with whether the issue is immigration, racism, interracial marriage, or whatever it may be. There are people who try to stand amongst tribal, ethnic, or racial lines who like to speak in a manner of saying that one should stay with their own race, who speak issues of immigration or speak down upon those who are immigrants. And I say this in light of our political climate and in light of this world with very clear conviction saying the Bible is absolutely clear that the God of Israel is God of all peoples. That the God of our Bible is a God of every nation, every tribe, every tongue. And the God of our Bible is for love, and four people of all nations and tongues coming together in harmony and unity. Now I say this um, because I almost feel like in, in light of recent kind of discussions that have occurred at the Southern Baptist Convention this past week. Now some of you guys have asked me about this this morning. 
Some of you guys have mentioned even this week and texted me about the issues. And so I wasn't going to talk about it, but so many of you guys actually this morning already asked me about it. So I'm like, if I fail to talk about what our church people are talking about, then that's failure of, of duty of the pastor. So let me explain really quickly for those of you who don't know. The Southern Baptist Convention, which is a part of a convention that we're associated with, has this past week had a convention in Phoenix where they were discussing many of the issues that happens every year. The Southern Baptist Convention, though, has a history that is often mired in difficult and controversial topics that we're not very proud of. But it also has a history of doing incredible work for the kingdom of God. So at this convention, there was a resolution that was attempted to be passed in the committee speaking out from the Southern Baptist Convention condemning the alt-right and the white supremacist movement. This, this uh, kind of resolution did not pass the committee stage. You guys, most of you guys are probably like, what are you talking about? Like, some of you guys are not, oh, I know all about this. But this is what happened earlier this week. It made headlines in the news. It did not pass the committee. So what happened after that was the resolution that did not pass the committee was brought forth to the floor saying, why are we not condemning this? Why are we not condemning the alt-right and the white supremacist movements that are becoming so popular? So it was brought forth to a vote. And Southern Baptist, long story, a lot of issues there, but long story short, it passed a resolution speaking out in condemnation against alt-right and white supremacist movements, which is a wonderful thing. And we're very happy about it. But we also know that it's a kind of one of those happy things that occurred with some turmoil. It's one of those happy things that should have been like, should this have ever even been an issue? Should this ever have even been an issue where it didn't go through committee nominations? Should this ever have been that difficult to pass? speaking out in condemnation against movements that were so anti the gospel. Can I tell you something, people, and hear me very well when I speak about this. When we speak about issues of race, politics, topics of all these kinds of things that are so controversial in America, guys, can I tell you something? We need to speak from a perspective and identity as followers and lovers of Jesus Christ first and foremost. That our identifying factor is not a political allegiance, not a race, not even our nationality. But who, what identifies us is that we are heirs of the kingdom. We're followers of Jesus. And when we speak out against those and those resolutions, those, those situations, when we speak out, we need to speak out against those who are anti the gospel first and foremost. And so we're happy and I'm proud of the Southern Baptist Convention for passing this resolution. I'm disappointed in the way that, in manner in which it was passed. But I want to speak out about that, and I want to share this story, and in this context, this aside to share with you how God is a global God. And God's heart is for the nations, and his heart is for every tribe, tongue, and nation to live in unity in this place. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. So here we have Naomi. At this point in chapter one, she's utterly without hope. She's utterly without economic hope because as you see, she's kind of older in years. She has nothing left. And then so this idea of how will she survive in this context? There's four possibilities. One is to work the fields, but she's too old for that. The second is to get married, but she's too old for that as well. Now you might ask, why is she too old to get married? Because marriage in this time, in this way, is not just for companionship. It wasn't just, you know, to marry somebody that you love. It was actually predominantly marriage was for family. At this time, marriage was known as something that you do just for family. So she's too old. In other words, she's too old to have heirs. She's too old to bear children. So as a matter of fact, that's what she told um, 
Ruth, when she said, go away, Orpah and Ruth, that I can't have any more sons. So she's too old to get married. She's too old to work the fields. Um, and then she's too, uh, the other possibility that you had was to rent out your land. But she sold her land. She sold her land before she even came. So she has no land. She's too old to work the fields. And she's too old to get married. So she currently has absolutely nothing to her name. She has nothing to offer. She's utterly economically without hope. That's why she's bitter. She's bitter because she comes back to this place because she lost everything in this native uh, foreign land of Moab. She comes back and she's utterly without hope. She has no land, she has no husband, she has no future, she has no prospects, she has no way to even survive except the generosity of others. She's without hope completely. But in the end of chapter four, it says, verse 14, that you have been renewed, your life has been restored, that there is a redeemer. How is it possible that a woman with absolutely nothing, absolutely bitter, becomes redeemed and renewed? So we go to chapter two, and we're introduced to a character named Boaz, which by the way, Boaz is a pretty cool name. <laughs> I'm just saying. I, I, if I had another son, I'm gonna try to work really hard. I tried, my first son, I tried very hard to name him Melchizedek, and call him Melky for short, but my wife would have nothing, to, she was like, no. Then she said we can get a dog and name him Melchizedek. But then I said, I didn't want a dog, so she was, she's being really tricky. Because I didn't want a dog, but she's like, you have a dog named Melchizedek? I'm like, oh, I want to do that. But if some, right now, if I have another son, my goal is for Boaz. Doesn't that sound like a powerful name? Maybe I think of Bo Jackson. You know, because I'm thinking of Bo Jackson, so I think of like, Bo Jackson, Boaz, yeah. You know, I don't know what it's about, but I love that name, Boaz. But we're introducing Boaz in chapter 2, and he's kind of like our hero character of the story, Right? He's the knight in shining armor. He's the, the character in like a romantic comedy or romantic movie that comes in, you know, kind of swoops in. He's that guy that everybody's like, what a great guy. I would love the hair. I mean, this is like, this plays like a movie, doesn't it? We start off and we see the sorrow, the heartbroken, and you're feeling it. You're immediately feeling for Naomi. And then you see Ruth, this sweet, incredible woman, a virtuous woman who's willing to sacrifice everything for Naomi. So you see this beautiful interplay of relationship with Naomi and Ruth. And you start falling in love with Ruth as a character. So all of Naomi's hardships are now Ruth's hardships. So in this movie, we see this like, oh man, you're in love with these characters. You want something good to happen to them. Then comes the hero, comes the dude, comes Boaz. You know, he's like, yes, I love that guy. You know, he's that, that guy in the movie that you're like, yes, you need to, you guys, he's the Ross and friends, you know, he's like Ross and Rachel, you want, you want them to get together. He's like the, the cute, what's that guy that all of the comedy, that British guy that was back in the room all back in the day? Uh, Hugh Grant, he's like the Hugh Grant guy, whatever it may be. I, I can't, I, I don't remember that many, this is like, I, my, all, all my movies are from like the 90s. All my movie references are all from back, way back in the day. Yeah, I, I got I to gotta catch up and watch new movies. But um, here comes the hope, the love interest you're rooting for. Now, I love this in the Bible. It says, he was called a worthy man. I know a lot of you gentlemen in this room, some of you are maybe single, and you want to be the hero of your own movie. You want to be the one that falls in love. You want to have a romantic comedy story. Guys, I want you to look at what made Boaz a worthy man. You see, Boaz was called worthy because he was a man of integrity. He cared for the poor. He was a good steward of his resources. He was generous, considerate, and so much more. Guys, women, men who are single in this room, can I say this to you? 
There is so much of this world has taught you the wrong things to look for. And you might not realize it. You might not realize how subtle and pervasive the media and the world and culture has been in trying to show you what you're looking for in a husband or in a wife, right? You might not realize it, but all of a sudden you realize, man, I want that, or this is what, you know, some of you guys, can I tell you guys, the things that you're looking for is just completely opposite what the Bible calls you to, right? Can I say that very clearly to you? Some of you guys are looking for, some of you women are looking for that tall, dark, and handsome man. Really rich and powerful. I hear you girls. I see it. <laughs> Gentlemen, you want that girl who looks great on your arm, right? Can I tell you something? Please hear me very well. Hear me very clear on this. The Bible is very clear in what he, what he calls you, what the Bible says is what's most important. It says, Boaz was a worthy man because you see he was a man of integrity. You see this in chapter 4. He wants to marry Ruth, but he says, well, there's another man who's in first in line to be kinsman redeemer, so I need to do the right thing. You see this in the way he's so generous in chapter 2 where he's giving so much to the reapers. You see his protectiveness in chapter 2 where he says he wants to protect Ruth from the people who might attack her. You see his openness by the way he's willing to talk to a Moabite, someone who should who most people would shun him for talking to. You see that he's a good steward of his resources. You see his generosity, his, his compassion. Guys, women, men, this is what you're looking for. You see in Ruth on the flip side, let's look at this. Let's look at what drew Boaz to Ruth. Then she fell on her face, it says in verse 10, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? And Boaz, and Boaz answered her, because you're hot. Oh, no, that's not what he says. But Boaz answered, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and come to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Do you guys hear that? Why are you taking notice of me? Because everybody talks about what you've done. Because of your loyalty. Because of your heart. Because of your willingness to sacrifice, your willingness to work hard, because of your humility, because of your desire to follow God even to a foreign land. Do you guys see? Do you hear what I'm talking about now? Your standards are flawed. What we're looking for is, is, is wrong in America and in the culture, and this is not what the Bible calls for. Sin has, even, has, has came into, even to the church and to us Christians and kind of messed up what we're looking for, right? Can I tell you what you're looking for, those who are single in this place? You're, you're looking for a type of person who's willing to sacrifice, who's loyal, who's compassionate, who's generous, who's a person of integrity, of high character, who's willing to go after the Lord wherever it may take him. Do you guys hear that? Why are we so caught up in the wrong things? Instead of the things that are last. Instead of things that matter. Instead of looking to the Bible as our guide for what to look for in the other, for our partners. Do you guys hear me? That was total aside, I just had to share that. Because to me, can I just be, I do a lot of premarital counseling. And there's a lot of people in our church who recently got married. There's a lot of single people in our church. Can I say this to you guys, by the way? For those who are single, and maybe you've been single for a while and you're like, dude, all these people are getting engaged around me. And you're getting a little frustrated. You're like, dude, there's a lot of people. I feel like in the past, 
two, three weeks, we've had like four or five engagements, right? I think there's a wedding like two in October, one in November, one, there's a million weddings coming up here. This is like the place to be if you want to get married or something like that. I say this to you, if you're single, look at what God did in Boaz's life. Boaz wasn't waiting around to be like, just, you know, man, I just want to get married. I better do whatever it takes to go get married. Boaz is being faithful to wherever God's called him to be. He was a great steward of his resources and of his land. He was developing the character that God wanted his character to be developed. So that when the right time came, God brought forth a Ruth. Do you hear me? This whole story of Naomi and Ruth is a story of God taking people for his glory, even through suffering, even through sorrow, but leading to an incredible harvest. And maybe you're here, maybe you're sitting in the, the, the sorrow part, maybe you're sitting in the waiting part, being like, well, where's my harvest? This whole story is a picture of God's faithfulness, where you read it and believe that God is faithful. Amen? Okay, so end of chapter two comes a new hope Possibly for Ruth and Naomi. His name is Boaz. So all of a sudden now, Boaz appears on the scene and they have a new hope. He, he, he reaches out and says, ooh, there's something about this girl. Her heart, her integrity, her character, her loyalty. So now you're thinking this movie's getting good. Yes, the hero comes on. He sees Bo- Ruth and Ruth sees Boaz. And you're thinking this is happening. This is great. Then chapter three comes. Naomi and Ruth make a risky move in the middle of the night. Ruth goes to the, a weird story, by the way. Culturally, you have to understand this, but even when you read it, you're like, this is weird. Ruth goes to Boaz on the threshing floor, lays down at his feet, just kind of lays there, kind of like, doesn't say a word, just lays there, which is so weird. Lays at her feet, and then around midnight, he's like, is there somebody at my feet? I mean, that's exactly what happened. He's like, what's going on? There's, There's a person laying there, and he's like, what are you doing here? And basically, she says, will you spread your blanket over me? Will you spread your garment over me? And in fact, she's basically saying, will you be my husband? She proposed, guys. Just saying. I'm just saying she proposed. I'm not saying it, but I'm saying. All right? It's incredible. I mean, this incredible story. This woman who has nothing, nothing to offer, comes into contact with this incredible man who has everything to offer, but he's willing to sacrifice, and she throws it all out there. She's bold. Okay, another thing, guys, another aside. She was bold. And this was bold. She was a Moabite. She was an outcast. She had nothing to offer. She was a beggar at his fields. But he was hope. And so she goes and lays at his feet and basically, in effect, says, will you be my kinsman redeemer. Basically, in effect, says, will you put your blanket, your garment over me, literally taking me in as your wife, your protection, your identity over me. But comes a problem. See, you're, you're thinking, here's, if this is a movie, you're like, whoa, this is awesome. The romantic conclusion to this movie. But then you're like, there's still like 45 minutes left in this movie. What's going to happen here? <laughs> Yeah, we're, just, we're still in chapter, we are even hit chapter four yet. I'm, I'm a little confused, so had to be a problem, right? Had to be a little like, oh, something happened. And there was a problem came up. It's all good until all of a sudden Boaz, being way too honest, such an impeccable man of integrity, says, here's the deal. I would do this, and I would love to marry you. I got you. I would love to put my blanket over you. I would, I would do this, but here's the problem. There's another man 
according to Jewish custom and law, that has first rights to be your husband and to be the kinsman redeemer, right? And Ruth probably got to be like, what? <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> no. And you probably, I mean, when you're reading this, you're like, no, this is, this is who it's supposed to be. It's Boaz, you know, he's the, he's the guy. So chapter four starts with Boaz, and this is where we, the scripture you just heard read to you. Chapter four, Boaz goes to this guy whose name is not even mentioned, tells him about Naomi and this land that he needs to buy back. And he says yes. And you're like, what? You're not supposed to say yes. You're supposed to say no. So Boaz can have her. What's going on here? But he says yes. But then Boaz says, well, you know, you got this land here. But um, according to the letter of the law, you don't have to marry Ruth. She's a Moabite. But according to the heart of the law, Boaz is considering for him that you have to take Ruth as your wife. See, basically, according to the law, and I'll go into a little bit of the law later on. But according to the law, this right has kinsman redeemer has the right to buy the land first, so he stays in the family. Now he's also supposed to marry the widow, so that they can keep on making more family members. But because she was a Moabite, he didn't have to. Because she was not an Israelite, because she was a Moabite, he had an escape clause. He could be like, "Well, I don't have to marry her." But so that's like almost like a loophole in the law. But here's the incredible thing about the man Boaz, man of integrity. He's like, forget about the loophole. This is what the law, this is the heart of what the law says. You need to marry this woman. You need to bring her in and shelter her. You need to give, you need to be, give an inheritance to her. And the guy said, uh-uh. Now, here's the deal. This guy in my mind, which I love the fact that he remains unnamed. Because in my mind, not that he's everything that's bad, but he's the typical person. He's the one that's out there looking for what we think that the world has taught us what we're looking for in a wife or a husband. Maybe, maybe Ruth didn't have enough to offer him. Maybe Ruth wasn't good looking enough for him. Maybe Ruth, maybe because she's a Moabite, he's like, she's a foreigner, she's an outcast, I can't marry her. Whatever it may be, guys, can I tell you that he said no to this situation, but Boaz stepped up and said good. See, Boaz was willing, Boaz was willing to, to put down his own self. Because here's the other thing. This guy says, well, I don't want to give up my inheritance. Here's the crazy thing, is when you marry the widow, you actually become them. Your, your children become the, their children. You're actually perpetrating their line, the line of the widow of the, the husband. So you're actually perpetrating, you're actually giving up your own inheritance. Boaz was willing to do that. Boaz was willing to sacrifice it all to win the girl, to redeem. That's what I love about Boaz as a redeemer in this story. The word redeemer used to describe Boaz in, the, in, in this Bible is the Hebrew word ga, ga'el, 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 something like that. I tried to uh, learn it phonetically better, but I messed up. It literally means to redeem or to act as a kinsman redeemer. In Jewish law, and you can find this in Levit Leviticus 25, when Joshua and the people of Israel came into the land, all the land was divided up amongst the families. But God knew because of the life and all its variations and abilities, some families would fall into poverty and lose their land. And I got, I got this real quick. I'll just give you credit for where credit's due. I got this next part about the law from Tim Keller. But God made two very interesting provisions in the law that would make it easy for families to get a second chance and get their land back. One of the reasons was simply because it's a gracious thing for families. Another is God didn't want his society to become characterized by incredible divergence of riches and poverty. So he said this, for every 50 years, a jubilee year, all the land goes back. 
And some people have gotten richer and some have gotten poorer. Some people have bought land, other people have lost land. Every 50 years, the land goes back and you get another chance. So in other words, the heirs of the descendants of the people who lost land get the land and the family gets a chance back. Secondly, before the 50 years was up, the land can be bought back if you lost your land, can be bought back but only by a kinsman. The land can be redeemed out of debt. The land can be ransomed. The land can be bought. But it has to be by a member of the family who lost it. This was the way for the family and the land to stay together. But it was very costly. You had to buy the land, which had enormous debt. And the second, the family couldn't really be restored because there were no heirs. So you had to actually marry. It's called a Levirate marriage. You could marry the widow and raise up children who had the name of the dead family. They wouldn't necessarily be your heirs, they would be the heirs of the people who were dead. Incredible sacrifice. And this is what this unnamed redeemer wasn't willing to do. He wouldn't marry um, Naomi because she was too old. He, could, he wouldn't marry Ruth because she was a Moabess, Bidus, something like that. And he wouldn't marry because he wouldn't, didn't want to give up his own inheritance. But this is what Boaz did. Do you see how big it was for Boaz to do this? To be accepted as a redeemer, what Boaz basically had to do was to say, I'm going to not only, at huge expense to me, I'm going to spend all my money, all that I have, and I'm going to buy the land that wasn't even mine, that was your family's land. But not only that, my children with you, Ruth, will not carry my name. It won't be Lawrence you, but it'll be whatever. It won't be Boaz something, it would be Ruth's name. It would be the name of Ruth's parent, uh, father, or Ruth's, Naomi's father, which is Elimelech. It would be the name of Elimelech, not the name of Boaz. He was willing, literally, to say, I give you everything. I'll sacrifice it all for you. I'll give you money to get out of debt. I'll give you my name. I'll give you my inheritance. I'll give you everything to you. I'll be your kinsman redeemer. So Boaz took Ruth, it says in verse 13, and she became his wife. And he went to her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Now, guys, I want you to see this beautiful picture. Here's Boaz. And Boaz just came in, and he had everything. He had everything, and Ruth had nothing. But he was willing to sacrifice and give everything for Ruth. Guys, can I tell you this? One of the things, for those who are married, those who are thinking about being married, those who are single, I still want you to hear this. One of the things I say to you, I say to everybody, premarital counseling, when I say to them marriage, at their wedding day, if I do the wedding, I always say this. One of the best things, that this is the, God's biggest picture, what he wanted to do when he said, I want to show the world one of the beautiful illustrations of the, way, of the gospel, one of the biggest images of the gospel, one of the way that Jesus and the church work together, I chose marriage. He chose marriage as a picture of this. And the, what it shows in marriage is this, the way that Christ sacrificed for the church. So I say to every husband and as we say to every wife, you're called to sacrifice for each other. To die to yourself for the other. All the time. Every day. And what we see here in this story is you see a man who is willing to die to himself completely to redeem this incredible woman named Ruth, a virtuous woman, who also, you saw herself, was willing to die and to sacrifice to all that she knew and had. Do you see how this works, guys, in this marriage relationship, what we're talking about? We're talking about dying to yourself every day for the other. That, if you guys want to know, what's the secret to a happy wedding, happy life, happy marriage? People are like, oh, always listen to, the wife's always right, right? Isn't that what people say? 
right? That's, that's what people say. The wife's always right. Or they say, happy wife, happy life, or whatever it may be. I'll tell you the true secret, though. Can I just be honest with you? Die to yourself every day for the other. Can I say that again? Die to yourself every day. That's the example we see here. So here we have Ruth and then Boaz who died to himself, this beautiful romantic story. But here it comes at the end. It says, then the woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer or may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Wait a minute. It just says, giving birth to him, your redeemer. But wasn't Boaz the redeemer? Right? Boaz is the one who sacrificed everything. Boaz is the one who gave up all he had, his inheritance, his name, and everything. Boaz is the one who died, in essence, for Ruth. But now they're saying to Naomi, your redeemer was born. Guys, can I say this? I'm going to do this real quick. The real redeemer, the real kinsman, the real Gael, is the redeemer of the child born in Bethlehem, where it says harvest is coming. The real redeemer, you see what he was really trying to point to, what this whole story is pointing to, is this great descendant, a child born in Bethlehem, who is the real redeemer, who looks quite a bit like his ancient father and mother, Boaz and Ruth. Like Ruth, he left his father's throne above, so free. And like Boaz, he paid completely your debt. Sacrificed everything so that your debt is completely covered, and out of his riches, his wealth now became your wealth. Guys, can I tell you that the, this whole story, this whole picture, is pointing to say, guys, to the Israelite people, to the time of judges, saying, guys, you hear that the promise of God is this. Well, right now, in the midst of your suffering, you might not see the promise, but the promise is coming. And for those of you right now, you might not see the end of your suffering. You might not see what it all points to, but there is a Redeemer who redeems your life. I always love the idea of Redeemer for me. Is, when I think about Redeemer, what it is, is you guys ever get tickets from the arcade? You guys know what I'm talking about? You go to the arcade, you went to, I love that stuff. I'm a sucker for it. I know that I can buy 50 million prizes, I know, for all the money I spend on the arcade to win a stupid prize. I get it, but I don't care. I love it. And I love getting the tickets, and they give you these tickets, and it's worth nothing. It's worth nothing. Right? But then you go redeem it for a prize, correct? It's just paper until you redeem it for a prize. It gives value. It gives worth to you. Guys, right now, your suffering might feel like it's pointless and it's worth nothing. That stage you're after, whether it's your singleness or your difficulties or your madness or your grief, whatever it may be, might feel like it's worth nothing. But can I tell you, a redeemer was born that gives meaning and worth to all the worthlessness you feel. That's the message of Ruth. There's nothing is without purpose. And you have a redeemer that brings worth to it all. I look at life and I wonder how we could live it apart from this hope. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. It doesn't matter how lowly you are. It doesn't matter what kind of failure you've been. It doesn't matter what, you, what your understanding may be. The message of this is a message of grace. The message of the book is the message that it's not about you living and being like Boaz and Ruth. The message is that you have a redeemer who looks like Boaz and Ruth. The message of this book is not you living a virtuous life and looking for the right marriage and looking, these are just asides. Those are just lessons that we can learn. The message of this book is that you have a redeemer that apart from your ability to live a perfect life, that it didn't matter that your inability to live a perfect life. The message of Ruth is that you had nothing to offer, but the redeemer came purchased all your debt, took upon all your sorrow and gave it purpose and meaning. 
and you can be known and that your identity now could be like of Caleb and Landon's, forever adopted. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that in the fullness of time, the Redeemer came out of Bethlehem, where it says the Redeemer is coming. We thank you that the Redeemer is the one who paid up all our debt, who purchased all that we had lost, and who gives us new inheritance and new identity. Thank you, Jesus. God, that our, our lives are dependent upon our ability to be good or be perfect or to do good all the time. But God, is not just dependent upon the work of you, Jesus, the Redeemer. So thank you that our identity, our ability to be adopted is not because we're cute kids. God, our ability to be adopted is because, Jesus, you chose us and you purchased us. We thank you, our Father, for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.